0: And folks, we're celebrating. We, we decided to take kind of a Sunday and have like a celebration Sunday to celebrate some of the things that God is doing. You've just already seen some of that as far as new members. Later on at the end of the service, we'll celebrate those who are joining the universal body of Christ through baptism. We had an incredible service uh, yesterday as people actually decided to make the decision to get baptized as a result, in response to the message. And the same thing applies to you because I'm gonna offer an invitation both for you to receive Jesus Christ or renew your covenant with Christ, but also if today is the day in response to the message you wanna be baptized, we'll invite you to come to the stage. We wanna escort you. Make sure you know what you're doing and then the privilege of being able to baptize you as well in response to the message. But there are other things that are going on in our church and at our campus as well, too. We want to celebrate over the last month as we have launched bridge groups across all of Force Hills campuses. Check this out over 300 people have stepped into a bridge group in the last couple of months, which is awesome. Um, 140 of those right here at the South Park campus, as well as we have about 127 people who've stepped into the initiative of mentoring, either to be a mentor or to be mentored, 127 people, so we give God praise for that. In our Next Gen ministry here at South Park, um, about a month ago, I came to you and I offered a plea, in a sense, to, for people to step into volunteering in the Next Gen ministry, and would you believe it? Since that particular point, 30 of you have stepped in and you are now volunteering in our Next Gen Ministries, whether it's through uh, bridge groups or volunteer care or connections. and You also may not know what's happening in the Next Gen, but they have been taking part in an outreach project. It's called Water to Wine. It's designed to help raise funds so that Water filters can be purchased and then given to people in different countries to be able to take care of the problem of their having unclean water. These water filters will actually produce water, clean water, for like 10 years. In our next gen ministry, and some of you have been so very gracious in your response to that, over the last several months, over $2,500 was raised to be able to purchase 50 water filters for families all over the world who will have clean water for the next 10 years. And so thank you very much for your generosity and being able to do that. God is doing some great things. And here's the thing, we, we're celebrating the fact that people are not just sitting, that people are not just settling, that they're actually stepping into experiencing and expressing dynamic life in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're all about. That's what we want to see take place, is people moving from one particular level to another. And as a matter of fact, what you're about to hear today and see today in this aspect of baptism I want to give you a different perspective of baptism, maybe different than what you and I have seen before, because normally baptism, it's more than just simply being born again. It's more than just uh, having our sins washed away. Although those are amazing or saved from hell, that's huge, saved for heaven, that's incredible. But the fact that there is a present reality and a power of what baptism actually illustrates that we're going to kind of unpack today in a way that hopefully will underscore the significance of this amazing ceremony and covenant that we celebrate to be identified in in union with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to walk through that, and I hope that will inspire within you that when these people are baptized, or maybe if you want to be baptized, you realize there's a whole lot more happening here than simply people getting wet. And we want to talk about that and celebrate that. That might renew your covenant. And by the way, so that when they get baptized, in in light of what you hear, I hope that you are going to go like crazy with celebration and applause for what God is doing in their life, this amazing thing, of securing the identity, the identification with Jesus Christ through baptism. So we're, we're gonna take a look at a passage in Romans um, to help understand how Paul is unpacking the treasure within our identification with Christ. Let me give you a little bit of a background in Romans. Um, I have the privilege of being able to walk through the book of Romans right now with a men's group, our men's bridge group. And we are being a. Down did with the significance of what Paul is after in wanting to preach the gospel. He's preaching; he's writing this letter to Christians, a multi-ethnic group of Christians in Rome that are both Jews. Uh, they are Greeks, Romans, people from all over the Roman Empire, and he has been impressed with the quality of their faith. And yet, Paul says, "I am so eager to preach the gospel to you." And we got to thinking: they already know the gospel; they're believers in Jesus Christ; they've had had faith. Why is he so eager? to preach something that they already have. And it's because of this, is that there is way more to the gospel than meets the eye, that the gospel is way more than simply saved from one thing, has a an awful lot to do with what we are saved or who we are saved into. And so Paul wants to mature their faith. And for 11 chapters in the book of Romans, he walks them through this amazing transformation of what the gospel actually does in our life. In chapter 5, he runs into the situation where he's talking about how Christ through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, how we are reconciled, how we become adopted as sons and daughters of God through the process and that how where sin increases, grace increases all the more, which kind of raises a question that kind of has some erroneous thinking in their minds. And Paul says to them if if grace increases, sin increases also. And so some of you are thinking, Paul saying, some of you are thinking, well, should we continue in sin? So that grace may multiply. Since grace increases when sin does, well, we should sin more, so more grace. And Paul says, absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we still live in it? And so now we're going to take a look at this vocal passage from verses 3 through 11. But before we do that, let me give you a heads up that this passage is chock full of prepositions. Right? A little bit of a grammar thing here. Prepositions are those words that kind of connect nouns and pronouns with a kind of spatial or temporal relationship to other things that are in that particular clause. Location. As I read the passage, I'm going to really emphasize the prepositions, a lot of them, so that hopefully you and I can get an understanding of how wonderful, how powerful, how mystical, how transformational what the gospel of Jesus Christ does in securing our identity with him. So, in the honor of the reading of God's word, if you are able... Let me ask you to stand, both here in the room and those of you that are online. We're grateful that you're joining us as we take a look at this passage from Romans 6, beginning with verse 3. Are you aware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised. From the dead, by the glory of the Father or by his power, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self, our old habits, our old life was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hearing those prepositions that way do you get a sense that there is way more going on in the prospect of our identification with Christ than we may have thought about before? One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and one of my favorite series of his books is the Chronicles of Narnia, this mystical, amazing land where the king of Narnia is who? Aslan, exactly right. And one of the things that fascinates me about the stories is how the kids make it from this world into Narnia. Right? The first book, they'd make it through a wardrobe. Right, When they go through the wardrobe, they enter into this entire land. And in the next book, they enter through a train station. In the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, it's interesting, Edmund and Lucy are in the, the room with their very disagreeable, unpleasant cousin, Eustace. And on the wall, there's a picture of a ship on an ocean, kind of a, a stormy ocean. And as they're looking at the picture, It feels as if, it seems as if the ship is actually moving and the waves are actually starting to roll. And the closer they get to it, the more motion is actually happening in this picture on the wall, to the point to where they can begin to feel the spray and the wind from this ocean scene. It was depicted incredibly well in the movie that came out years ago. But as they they get to the, the, the frame, the ocean starts dumping into the room from the picture until the three children are completely submerged in this water. And they're kicking their way to the surface. And when they get to the surface, they have surfaced into the realm and the land of Narnia. It's amazing. A particular scholar has said that when we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into a new country, a new kingdom, a new realm with new identities, with new possibilities. Into Christ, there is a vast land and a vast kingdom that we are now a part of. And we want to be able to take the time to be able to unpack what that actually looks like, this identification with Jesus Christ. And here is kind of like the driving thought I want to keep uh, foremost on your mind, and that is our identification with Jesus Christ is instrumental to a Christ centered identity and a Christ empowered capability to be able to live a dynamic Christ life now and forever. Let's go over that, over that again. Is that identification, the proper, full, complete identification and union with Jesus Christ? is instrumental, foundational for a Christ-centered identity, a Christ-empowered capability to live the dynamic Christ life now and forever. There are powerful implications to that. That when the gospel of Jesus Christ is properly applied, when our identification with him is secured by faith through the grace of God, that it does several things. It impacts our past. As a matter of fact, it reconciles our past, that when we are properly identified with Christ, that it results in a biblical theological term that's called justification. Justification. In the process of justification, we are actually being liberated from the penalty our sins separated from the penalty of sin because jesus christ takes that here's what's happening in justification that god the holy righteous god to those who come to him and acknowledge their sin acknowledge their need acknowledge also god's gracious provision in jesus christ that god actually pronounces the verdict for sinners who come to him as innocent that god declares them to be innocent, not on the basis of what they do, not on the basis of their works, but on the basis of their trusting the completed work already done, which means in that process of justification, God forgives, washes, cleanses, purifies us, and transfers to us the righteousness of Christ to our own account. In other words, God no longer sees us through the filter of the things that we have done no longer sees the the filter through the things that are evil or wicked in our lives, he sees us through the filter of the righteousness of Christ because he has declared us innocent and that righteousness is transferred. That's one way that the identification reconciles our past through this process, which is a one-time-done-in-the-past justification where God declares us Innocent. Let that one sink in for a bit because you and I, sometimes we can get railroaded and we can get burdened by the things that we do thinking that God only sees the wrong because that's kind of what people do, right? People only see the, the bad stuff. They kind of magnify that. Through Jesus Christ, God only sees us through Jesus as innocent and righteous. That's justification. Our identification goes even further that it also secures our future. It secures our future. That if we're identified properly in Jesus Christ, that the result of that is another theological term that's called glorification. Glorification is the process whereby we are completely, eternally, finally separated or liberated from the very presence of sin. No sin anywhere In us or around us, this is our eternity, our future with him where we are completely conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Everything about us is 100% completely holy and pure and righteous. And there will not be anything in that realm, in that existence, that comes from anything of death or evil or wickedness. No sin, no seduction, no temptation, no cause for shame or guilt or fear or anxiety. In that particular realm, our full identification with Jesus that then becomes completely realized. We will spend eternity face to face with the Almighty Holy God and our Savior Christ to experience life a resurrected life in a resurrected body on a resurrected earth with a resurrected Christ. That is the glorification as a result of the faith and the grace that God's given to us, that we have the promise that that is our destiny. But the third thing that this identification does, it also affects our present. And this is where we want to spend some time. Because as good as all that is, Paul said, you know, if this whole salvation thing, if it's only good for here on earth and not for heaven, then we should be pitied among all people. And I would say this, If trusting in Jesus Christ is only good for heaven with no real benefit here, then that's a waste. That's not how God sees it at all. God has indeed put into our present existence such power and treasure in our relationship with Christ that if our identification with Christ is secure, then actually what it does, it gives us, it results in an empowered present. An empowered present. In other words, that we are in a process, it's called sanctification, Another big word. Sanctification is a process whereby over time we are being made more and more conformed to the image of God through Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. God is committed to the process of transforming us into the very character of Jesus Christ, to be sinless. Now, that process never gets completed here. It is never completed here. It's ongoing. It only actually becomes complete in heaven. But that process begins with such things as the regeneration of the Holy Spirit becoming a part of our life and then beginning to reformat our desires to separate us from the power of sin, that we actually have the power to say no. We have the potential, the possibility to sin, but no longer the obligation. Why? Because we've died to it, our old life, old habits, our old inclinations, all of that has been rendered completely powerless and that we have as freed slaves the ability to step up, look our old master in the eye and ignore any of the commandments, any of the commands, any of his desires that we no longer have to live our life based on the things that we thought brought us peace or brought us happiness and yet brought us misery. Some of those things, those temptations, especially that temptation that you and I deal with, whatever that is, There is no longer any obligation to those things that we have been given, resurrected power to resist and to remain free from the power of that sin. I really appreciate the words of Bono from U2 several years ago when he was reflecting on his own process. And here's what he said. Your nature is a hard thing to change. It takes time. I've heard of people who have life-changing, miraculous turnarounds, people set free from addiction after a single prayer relationships saved where both parties let go and let God. But it was not like that for me. I wonder how many of us would say that's the same thing. It's not been that way for me. I'm still working through resisting the power of those temptations. He says, for all that, I was lost. I am found. It's probably more accurate to say for me, I was really lost. I'm a little less so at the moment. And then a little less and a little less again. The slow Reworking and rebooting the computer at regular intervals, reading the small print of the service manual, it has slowly rebuilt me in a better image. It's taken years, though, but it's not over yet. looks the process of sanctification throughout all of our life is this work that is done by the Holy Spirit that we cooperate with through such things as a practice of spiritual disciplines, through such things as obedience, obedience. Letting Jesus Christ lead and allow his power to impact those areas in our life that are still filled with darkness that he is bringing us out of from death into life. First Corinthians chapter six, he reminds the Corinthians of a lot of the different kinds of sins, the things that they were doing, the kind of people that they were. And he says in verse 11, some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. So here's the thing. The core of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that Jesus Christ came, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Our identification with Christ is not simply that we affirm the significance of what Jesus did, but that in a mystical way, we're actually experiencing it we're experiencing the fact that as Jesus died, an aspect of us has died. As Jesus was buried, an aspect of our life is to be buried. As Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, we're experiencing that power of his resurrection that gives us the power in this life now. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life, right here, right now. I've mentioned to you that one of the things that I enjoy doing is performing weddings. And one of the things I really enjoy doing is taking couples through a premarital preparation. I believe that premarital preparation is absolutely essential. People should not get married without going through that process. And over the last several years, I have, I've created a, a premarital quiz, true-false quiz, and I asked the couples of questions, and they Tell me what their answer is and then why we have a great discussion. Quite frankly, it's some of the best show I've got. I sometimes would like to be able to have popcorn and a drink just to watch the show as people talk about exactly what they mean. But here's one of the questions. Here's one of the questions from that quiz. It's true, false. You all tell me what your answer might be for this. True, false. The most important relationship on earth is between a man and woman as husband and wife. Look at that again. (laughs) I've got some people already responding. The most important relationship on earth is between a man and woman as husband and wife. How I many you say true? Nobody. I mean, you say false? See, then I would ask you why. What's interesting is that when I do, when I do that test, many of them say it's true. And what do you think they're looking at when they, when they say true? Earth. On earth. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah we, we, Jesus, we can't really see him. Folks, simply because we can't see Jesus does not mean he's not there invisibility doesn't cancel out his presence. And then the great commandment, the great commandment is that we should love the Lord our God with what? All of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Where do you do that? Right here. We have this relationship with Jesus Christ right here on the earth. Sometimes people will say, well, before I get, I'm getting married, that, the most important relationship is Christ. But after I get married, it's my spouse. I would say this to them. If your relationship, your covenant relationship with Jesus Christ changes after you get married, don't get married. Because your covenant relationship with Jesus Christ informs every relationship that you should have. As one pastor told me, never marry beneath your covenant. I'll say this to single adults as well too. Do not date beneath your covenant. Do not date, marry beneath your identity in Christ. Do not allow anything to compromise your identity in Jesus Christ. It is fundamental to who you are and how you live. So then there are imperatives that come along with that then from verse 11 of chapter 6. So, therefore, you also, in the same way, you must, and here it is, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider. That word actually means to think carefully, to reckon, to calculate, to compute, to apply it to something. In other words, it's almost as if before you get involved with something that is questionable, stop and remember who you are. Remember whose you are and to step into the experience and the reality that you have died with Christ, you've been buried with Christ and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. In other words, in the time that it takes for us to be thinking about how to get it done or how to not do it or whatever, you stop and remember first and foremost who you are, that you're fully, completely identified with Jesus Christ. And then once you come to that conclusion, you claim that reality, then you cut ties with everything about that old life that can continue to drag you down and away from the fullness of life in Christ. Chapter 6, verse 12 will say this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Why? Because we're no longer slaves. We're no longer enslaved and sin no longer has mastery. Listen. And I understand that sometimes there are those kinds of sins or those kinds of seductions, those kinds of temptations that can seem overpowering. And they can be difficult to say no to. I understand that. But there is a greater power in Jesus Christ for us to continue the battle by the power of the Holy Spirit to consider ourselves dead and therefore not to indulge that which is a part of our old nature, that which is a part of our old life. And I know how difficult that can be because of sometimes the echo of what we've done, the things that were done in the past. And it's just sometimes kind of hard to walk away. There's an interesting phenomenon. It's called the phantom limb syndrome that amputees deal with. In other words, people who have lost, whether it's uh, fingers, hands, arms, legs, feet, that sometimes they can still feel the sensation of that missing limb, even for decades. Researchers at Oxford, in doing some high-resolution imaging of the brain, have identified that the brain can actually retain incredible detailed maps of the missing limbs so that even 10 years after the limbs are gone, people can still feel as if it's there, even to feel the pain. I imagine that for many of us, that sometimes the habits that we were involved with before Christ or the bad habits we've picked up, since coming to Christ and we're trying to get away from that the sensation of it or the desire for it or the echo of it can still think, cause us to think that we're still linked that we're still it's still attached to us folks in Jesus Christ everything of that old life has been crucified though there's a potential there is no obligation that we have the power to be able to say no but it starts off with our in the identification with Christ and our identity in Jesus Christ that we consider ourselves dead to it. Here's why I think this is important. Because currently, both with internal forces and a lot of external, there's a lot going on in our world and in our culture that is continuing to press in on us and is trying to conform us to their perception of who they think that we are causing us to subscribe to our allegiances on the basis of our political affiliations, on the basis of our alma mater, what particular team we want to be able to, to win through March Madness, or such things as our socioeconomic status, and that people are trying to conform us to say, here's who you are based upon these particular variables, or our ethnicity, or our gender, our age, our generation, our experiences, and the world doesn't like it when you go against their assessments. And if you go against their assessments, they'll cancel you. May I say this? Your identity in Christ supersedes any other pressures to become anything less than who Christ has made you to be. That what Christ is calling you to be, your identity is established, not of anything from the earth. Who you are, who you are becoming, and what God will complete rests completely in all that Christ is, and we need to allow Christ to inform our character, to inform our identity, and not to allow a dying world, that kind of influence in becoming what God died through Jesus Christ to provide in us and also through his resurrection has given us the power to stand with great confidence on the basis of what he has created. We do not need to allow the world or the culture around us to dictate the quality of who we are. That's already been determined. And when we are baptized into Christ, the fullness of his righteousness and his identity is applied to us. That is who we are. And we need to, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by faith in Jesus Christ, resist with confidence, with peace, with faith and assurance to declare, no, this is who I am and I will be nothing less than what God has called me to be. That's our identity. We have that secured in Jesus Christ. But folks, I know that that can be difficult. That can be a challenge. It's one of the reasons why it's so very important to belong to a community of people who see things in that way that's biblically based, but also rooted in the reality of Jesus Christ. That's where the power of resurrection, power from the Holy Spirit gives us the privilege of being able to have those kinds of stands even against the tide of culture going the other direction. But I will say it's also going to require grace because there will be places in the process where we will fail where we will fall, that we will say yes when we, should have said, when we should have said no. And yet we'll find the grace of God just as powerful. Beth Moore, in her book, Living Beyond Yourself, she recalls an evening talk show with parents that were being interviewed because their son was killed by a drunk driver. And the drunk driver was the son's best college friend. They were best friends. And it goes on in the interview that the parents had come to a place where they had not only completely forgiven that college student, but had taken the college student into their home to live with them as one of their own. And this college student would sit at their table in the same seat the son would sit in, sleep in the son's room, would work with the father, would prepare talks and seminars on safety, would share in the family fortunes and the special causes that the family engaged in. And when the son would talk about, well, not the son, but the friend would talk about the son, he would do so from the perspective of one who had honor and gratitude and love for the friend that he had killed. And yet the family embraced him. And when the interviewer, after hearing that says, how, why, why would you do this? Why, what, what is the cause of you doing this? The, the parents would say, Doing this brings us peace to know that we can benefit and bless someone and to save their life in the process. Beth Moore, she said, she couldn't get her mind wrapped around that. She was trying to put herself in the the position of the parents, and she came to the conclusion, "I I couldn't do it. And then she said, as with tears coming down her cheeks, she felt as if the Holy Spirit was whispering to her heart and said to Beth Moore, of course you can't understand it. You put yourself in the wrong position. You're trying to identify with the parents. But Beth, you're the driver. You're the driver. God is the parent. And we have been responsible because of our life for the tragedy of the death of Christ that he was willing to take for our benefit. And now because of faith and the grace that has been given to us, we sit in the place with almighty Jesus, the one who died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. And because of that, we have peace. So there's an imperative to that then. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ, to cut all ties and to renew your covenant and to receive even today the invitation for God's grace to be applied to you completely. If you're you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to let you know that if you have blown it, sinned, been taken over, given yourself to something that is less than Jesus, then please know that God desires to heal you, to cleanse you, and to reestablish that process of sanctifying you for his pleasure and for your good. This past week, I was introduced to a new toy for children. Um, Erin Swanson, who's our graphic designer, she let me know about these toys that are called Scribble Scrubbies. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Scribble Scrubbies, and what they are, they're these plastic little white toys, these pets, and that with these washable color markers that children can paint, I mean, they can draw designs and color the animals, but then when they're done, when when, when they wanna kinda get them back to normal, they just basically wash them with water, and it washes them clean, and they can go through the process all over again. Scribble Scrubbies. And she and I thought, because her niece, Amelia, who's three years old, loves playing with scribble scrubbies. But she says, but Jonathan, it's almost as if Amelia loves even more washing them clean. Hear me carefully. Whoever you are and whatever you've done, God, because of his extravagant sacrifice through Jesus Christ, God, is delighted for any that will come in humility and repentance. God is delighted to wash us and make us clean. No matter what you've done, you think that you've out sinned God, that God says, no more water for you, no more washing for you. No, he is always delighted with infinite grace and infinite love to wash you clean. Whatever you've done, come to him and experience his love to make you all that you should be and to establish you in the identity of Jesus. But if you're here today and maybe you don't have a relationship, then I want to encourage you by profession of your faith to express and declare your belief that you're a sinner and you know that you don't deserve God's mercy, but he's giving it to you. To come before him and to acknowledge Jesus Christ who died for your sins, who rose from the dead and wants to give you his life. Today, you can make that decision to take that step And Can I say this? Kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight who said after after Philip was talking to him about baptism and the guy said, hey, here's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? And he said, nothing. That today, if you want to, we had a last service. If you'd like to be baptized in response to this message of faith, to commit your life to Jesus Christ, then while I'm praying, you can come over right there to the edge of the, of the stage. We'll have a conversation with you and get you ready to join those who are also being baptized. And if not now, then use a QR code, scan that, whether you're here in the room or online, for baptisms across all of our campuses. There'll be baptisms that'll be done on Easter. And so you can get ready for that as well. Either way, spiritual movement and that identification of your relationship with Jesus Christ, who has given himself completely to you. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, the, the, the magnitude of what you have done what you are doing and what you will complete for us through Jesus Christ should leave us breathless and in wonder. So thank you. Thank you that this identification gives us a brand new identity with which we can live with confidence in this world. I pray for those right now that God may be wondering about entrusting themselves to you that even now they will be able to in their heart say, I believe. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I believe that you want to give me this new identity and this new capability of following you and living your life now. So, Father, respond to those prayers, those desires, and allow people to take those steps to experiencing this newness of life in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand to your feet. And let's sing this hymn about God's amazing grace through the Christ who paid it all. Let's sing together.